So I mentioned a few weeks ago, if you'll remember, uh, that one of the things that I've noticed about the church and about Christians is that we can say and do some really strange things from time to time. And I have no doubt that to an unfamiliar observer, this morning would be one of the weirder ones. I mean, we're here today waving leaves, reading about a king riding into town on a donkey and singing about, uh, uh, singing about a man rising from the dead. But it's such a cool day. I mean, Palm Sunday is really a special day in the life of the church. It's one thing to read about the arrival of Jesus to Jerusalem, but it's another to actually feel the weight of a palm frond in your hand, to hear them rustling through the air as we wave them together, and as we raise our voices in Hosanna together. All of this ceremony, not just today, but every Sunday when we come together in the church, and indeed every time that we come together in the church, is built around the premise and the promise that the gospel is not just something that we read about, and it's not just something that we talk about, but it's something that we can and do experience in our lives. During Advent, we change the colors in the sanctuary and sing slow songs in minor keys, not for the sake of doing it, but so that we can experience the sense of awe and mystery that Scripture uses to describe the birth of Jesus. During Lent, we fast and focus on repentance and our own fallenness so that that fallen nature goes from being a vague concept to something that's a lived reality. And today we process and wave palm branches and lay them at the altar before the cross so that the joyous preparations from that day in Jerusalem are echoed in our own joyous preparations for the work that Jesus is doing in your life and in our world. We celebrate as we prepare the way for Jesus because we know what he's done and we know that he is coming. The strangeness of this morning, and indeed the strangeness of our scripture this morning, isn't unique to our own modern context. I know I say all the time that we, we miss out on some of the nuances of the Bible because we live so far after uh, it was written. But in this case, that's not quite true. The disciples didn't know what to make of this uh, event any more than an observer from today might. So in that sense, we're in good company if we think that this is kind of odd. They didn't understand what was happening, and they certainly didn't understand the significance of this strange but enthusiastic welcome. And so I find that to be reassuring. The apostles knew, after all, what Jesus had done. They'd seen the miracles firsthand, and they'd heard his teachings, and they believed and trusted him enough to leave everything they had behind and follow him across the kingdom. They knew his power and his glory, and yet still they didn't quite understand what was happening. To me, that's great news because it means that when I'm confused by what God is doing, it's not always just me. I'm sure you have those moments too where you wonder, what exactly is it that's going on here? How is God working in our world, in this situation? How's God working in my life right now? Well, that's good because you stand in the company of the disciples who walked with Jesus. And because we can know the truth that we aren't always going to understand. 
In fact, there's going to be a lot of times where we can't quite grasp what God is doing because His work is not always clear. Sometimes it is, of course. There are times when we're reminded over and over again that God is working through your gifts and through the people that you know. When you look back and say, yeah, that was definitely God at work. But other times, seeing God's work is less like reading a book and more like trying to untangle a huge knot or like trying to decipher a surrealist painting. I mean, imagine this situation of Jesus arriving to Jerusalem, the Son of God riding a young donkey into town as people lined the streets around him, waving branches and singing that the day of salvation had arrived. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes, and I'm sure you'll understand what they must have been thinking. I'm sure that something's happening here, but I'm not quite sure what that something is. There's a few reasons why this can happen. And the first is mainly because we as human beings are limited in our knowledge at any given moment. That's not always a bad thing, after all. Uh, of course, I'm, you know, I can tell you more than you would likely ever want to know about church history, about medieval poetry, or about the ways that Southern literature was impacted during the first half of the 20th century. But I always had a hard time wrapping my mind around chemistry. My wife is very comfortable with probability and statistics, but I suspect she'd be entirely outside of her element with any of the topics I just listed. And that's all right, because God gives each of us strengths and interests and talents, and nobody needs to know everything. We're not meant to know everything. So it's not always a bad thing that we're limited in what we know, but it is sometimes a bad thing. For me, there are three words that have historically come before I found myself in trouble. And I think there's people here who can understand. In fact, I know there's people here who can relate. I know that I'm in trouble when I hear the words, hey, did you remember it's always been that way? I have always been forgetful. I get so caught up in things and projects and books and the things that I find interesting that I forget what I'm supposed to do. I get caught up in the moment and I forget what's important. I think Jesus could have asked those same three words to the disciples as they walked into Jerusalem, or as they remembered that uh, procession in. Did you remember the prophecies, the holy scriptures you learned as children? Did you see the palm branches in the cult and remember what Isaiah predicted? As the people joyfully prepared our way, did you remember who you said that I am? Sometimes God's work is hard to see because we forget what it is that we're supposed to be looking for. It's written of the disciples, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. If they had remembered the things that Scripture said about the Messiah, they would have been much more able to recognize why Jesus was being greeted in the way that he was. In the same way, if we know and remember what Scripture says about how God works, then maybe we could more readily see the work that he's doing in our lives. It's amazing how much of a difference Scripture can make when you're looking for God. 
Back in December of 2015, my best friend died suddenly in his sleep. And the pain of a loss like that is deep and lasting. And that was definitely a moment when I prayed, God, I know that you can work in this somehow. I know that you're here somewhere, but where? But in those days, it seemed like my words lost all their potency. I couldn't figure out what to say or what to write or even how to pray some of the times. So I did the only thing that I could think of and turned to Scripture. And in Romans, I read, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through groaning too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with his will. Like the disciples, when I remembered the promises of Scripture, my eyes were opened to how God was working and what he was doing. Words come hard in times of grief, but that's what the Spirit is for. When our abilities fail or fall short, the Spirit of God works for us. Sometimes it's hard to understand God's work because we've forgotten what we should know. But other times, God is hard to understand because he's saving something for later. It's like walking into a surprise party that, in retrospect, you probably should have expected. It's easy here to say that the disciples should have remembered the prophecies, that they should have seen the signs and known what was coming. But maybe there's more power in the surprise of Easter than there would have been in the understanding of Palm Sunday. John tells us that the disciples realized the prophecies were about Jesus after he was glorified. And the unexpected joy of the resurrected Christ is so much better, so much bigger than if it was predictable. Isn't the same thing true for us? Isn't there joy in meeting Jesus and realizing, wow, this really does change everything? Like the residents of Jerusalem, we celebrate not because we always understand, not because we ever fully understand, but because we know what Jesus has done. Through his birth, life, death, and final resurrection, he changed everything. He changed the world to its very core. A world once separated from God finally had a way to be reconciled, and it was given without cost. A world where death once reigned supreme was now ruled by a king who offered eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. Just as he came to a world that hadn't earned it, his offer of salvation was extended to us without us earning it either. You don't have to do anything, the message says. Jesus did it all. And knowing that he has come to us, you can also know that he works within us as well. Scripture tells us that with Christ, we are set free from the powers of sin and death and that nothing has dominion over us when we stand in the kingdom of God. The burden of sin and the weight of temptations that once held us captive don't hold us anymore and we are free to enjoy the peace and perfection and life that God desires. It's like we've been suffering from an illness, from a corruption in our very natures, and Christ has come and given us the cure at no cost. 
through that, through his presence and his work, Jesus has saved us. And that is something that's worth celebrating. Even though we don't always understand what God is doing, we can celebrate because we know what he's done for us and in our lives and because we can see what he is doing throughout the world. When we gather as a church, that's why. Worship is celebration because God is doing the greatest thing the world has ever seen. And I'll tell you what, in that celebration, we prepare the way for Jesus. So much of that is found in our praise, and I don't just mean our music, though that's a significant piece. When we sing songs of praise, what is it that we're proclaiming? We're proclaiming that we've experienced the amazing grace of God. We're singing Hosanna alongside the Israelites that the day of salvation has come. It's pure celebration of the work that God has done, and it's an outpouring of joy in response to what he's done. God is great. He is worthy of praise. That's the message of these songs But shouldn't we also be seeking to make that the message of our whole lives? See, true praise isn't confined to the singing that we do here in church. If praise is a natural result of joy, then it should bleed into everything that we do at every moment of our lives. Praise is a lifestyle. Scripture tells us to do all things as though for God and not for other humans. And I think that's a perfect summary of what it means to live a life of praise. To dedicate your whole self to the Lord. To follow Jesus' commandments. To love God and to love one another. To pursue his will above your own. And to devote yourself to holy living. That's what it means to make your whole life an offering to God. And that's what it means to praise him with everything that you have and everything that you are. But to prepare the way for Jesus means taking your celebration a step further and sharing what you know. I know it can be awkward to invite people to church or to share the gospel message with them, but think about why you do it. You've found the source of life, the way to peace and joy and fulfillment, and he's changed everything. Spreading the word and sharing the good news can feel like an infomercial or a sales pitch, but it really shouldn't. You know you know what Jesus has done for you. And don't you want other people to experience that as well? This isn't like selling something. It's pointing the way to the source of abundant and everlasting life, to more and better life than you could imagine as our post-Easter sermons are going to uh, emphasize. The good news, after all, really is good news. And if you believe that, then there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're sharing it. And finally, preparing the way for Jesus means bringing other people to meet him. Now, this isn't quite the same thing as spreading the word about what he's done because it requires more of a personal investment and more personal involvement. It's the difference between giving someone directions somewhere and telling them, let's go together. This is why personally inviting someone to church or to a Bible study is so much different than if they were to hear or see an advertisement. 
There's a level of personal commitment that comes along with an invitation. It's an assurance that they're not walking into a mysterious new situation. When you invite someone, you're making a commitment to them. But it goes even farther than that. When you invite someone to come and meet Jesus, you are taking on the role of being a representative of the church to them. The message, Jesus loves you, can seem vague and impersonal, like a marketing slogan. But the truth is that the gospel is always personal. For you to go to someone and say, the love of Jesus is the most amazing thing that I have ever experienced, and I would love for you to experience that too, shows that it's not just a faceless organization or an institution that's inviting them from a a distance, but it's a real person who cares about them. They don't know anything about the group, but they do know you, and that's a lot better. That's a lot more meaningful. That might be enough to convince them to come and see what God is doing and what God can do in their lives. So go with an attitude of celebration and a heart filled with joy because Christ has arrived. Know that even if you don't always understand how God is working all around you, and let the memory of what he has done and what he's promised to do in your life carry you through confusing times. Let every action and every word of yours be one of praise, and don't be afraid to proclaim to reveal and to invite others to see the love of Christ. Amen.